as you can see, we're going to continue in our series looking at the Israelites in the desert and through Exodus and compare them with Jesus. And today, you may have worked out from those readings, it's going to be on the commandments. And what, what are people's initial thoughts as to how the Israelites did in this particular section, receiving the commandments as a nation? Did they pass or fail? Do they get a pass plus, a credit, distinction, high distinction? 49%? A what? Got an F. A 49 or 48%, right. Anyone else want to throw a pitch, throw a, throw a mark in there? What if I brought the chocolates back out? Would you be a little less shy? <laughs> See, I, <laughs> there was a double reason for the chocolates. It was to show that people can talk when they want to. <laughs> well, that's what we're going to look at today. Um, as we carry on with this, the second half of the series. As Graham said during communion, the first half of the series was looking at the plagues and then the second half of the series, we've been wandering with the Israelites through the desert, but not just with them and seeing how they went and how badly they failed in their experiences with God, but looking at Jesus and going, where does Jesus succeed? And why did Jesus do some of the things he did? And so we're going to do that again today. So let's just pray before we start. Father, we thank you that you are a great God. We thank you that you are beyond our comprehension because if you were not beyond our comprehension, if we could fully understand you, then you wouldn't be God. Um, and so as we come to your word now, as we look to learn from um, the Israelites in the desert and your interaction with them, help us to learn and grow so we can reflect you as you wish, Lord, and be the people that you want us to be. In your son's name. Amen. So... I know people have started doing their homework on what day it is today. I know some people have been cheating and looking up beforehand just to try get a jump. So anyone know what tomorrow is? <laughs> school day. It could be a school day. Hopefully it is. That way I'll get some work done. What's that? Is it? Apparently, it's my sister's birthday as well, <laughs> for those listening later on. It's actually World Donkey Day. It's World Donkey Day tomorrow. And donkeys don't have the best reputation in the world, as far as animals go, but they are strong. They are very stubborn-minded. And a little bit similar to the Israelites three and a half thousand years ago. 
and very similar to what the church is today. Very stubborn, very strong-minded, and not always doing what they're meant to do, yet very effective when they do do what they're meant to do. So, let's just, I'll leave that thought, and you can just let that rumble around the back of your mind, am I a donkey or not? What sort of a donkey am I? And let's look at some of the uh, commandments. So we'll start with the Exodus reading. And to be honest with you, I'm not going to actually spend a lot of time today exploring the actual Ten Commandments. Um, That's a couple of sermons worth to do it justice. And that's not actually the main focus of today. The focus is not to explore and explain the commandments themselves, but to explore the Israelites' response and interaction with God as God gives the commandments. Now, in chapter 19, this was the commandments are given in chapter 20. In chapter 19 of Exodus, the Israelites enter into the Sinai Desert. Now, Theoretically, if they were taking Google Maps at this point and following Google Maps, they would have been in the Promised Land. It's only about a two to three month walk from Egypt to the Promised Land. Two to three months stops. So, theoretically, Google Maps has sent them on a wrong turn or God's trying to teach them something. And so... They get to the Sinai Desert finally and God arranges with Moses how the people need to be so I can meet with them. And this is meant to be an exercise in helping the people grow closer to God, to understand God better, to engage with God closer, to be able to develop that and grow that relationship. Because ultimately, that's what it's always about. That's not just a New Testament thing, have a relationship with God, let's draw close. It's always been God's desire. Right from the very get-go, it was always about relationship. And so God sets down a list of things that the Israelites need to do in order to meet with him. And the Israelites freak out and and run away. And many people think that, make the accusation that God's being rather demanding um, and arrogant in expecting people to meet this criteria in order to meet him, perform these certain ceremonial tasks and be cleansed and all that sort of stuff. And it's very arrogant of God to, to expect people to do that. I think that's actually a misunderstanding of God to hold that opinion because God's not saying it in order to see how many hoops people will jump through. What he's actually saying is, if you don't do these things, you cannot handle being in my presence. You cannot handle me unless you do these things. 
And so I'm not doing it because I need an ego kick. I'm doing it for your genuine safety so that you can actually come into my presence without being smited. And if you don't do these things, then you're going to get smited. And so it's not God being demanding or arrogant or egotistical. It's actually God being loving. An egotistical God would have, wouldn't have said anything. He would have just let them come in, get smited, and then gone, ha ha, see, look how powerful I am. That's what an egotistical God would have done. But a loving God says, here's the things you need to do in order to come into my presence. I want you to come into my presence. Here's a time when you can, but you need to take these steps in order to do so safely. And we get an insight into God's character, even in the Old Testament, when we understand it that way. Many people think the Old Testament God's an arrogant, angry, nasty, vindictive sort of God. And then in between the two Testaments, he had a bit of a rethink on his approach. And then in the New Testament, he's this loving, beautiful, wonderful God. And no, he's the same God all the way through. And what he has said here to the Israelites is not out of nastiness or arrogance or vindictiveness. It's actually him being loving, graceful towards his people. So God wanted to meet the people and he wanted the people to see that God was meeting with Moses. Now, why would he want to do that? Well, so he didn't think it was just Moses talking and handing down commandments that Moses thought were good, but also to try and actually give Moses some credibility. They've been in the desert now for a little while. Moses has been copying it from left, right, top and bottom. From everyone complaining, Moses has not been able to please a single person, everyone's complaining against Moses for quite some time now. We're talking a good couple of months in the desert and the entire time the Israelites have been whinging about something. And so what God wants is he wants the people to see that Moses is with God but under God. And so... God approves of Moses and he wants the people to see God approves of Moses and therefore you should approve of Moses and make Moses' life just that little bit easier. And of course that lesson was heated quite well as we know. But what I want to do is jump down to the last couple of verses. Yes, the commandments are split up into four four regarding God, then six regarding people. And there's reason why the God commandments come first is because God's more important than other people. But if you get the God commandments right, the people commandments should start to happen better. Why? Because you can't love God if 
You can't draw closer to God without being more godly in your interactions with other people. Because if you're not godly into your, into your actions with other people, your interactions, then are you really actually close to God? <laughs> I would argue no. It's your relationship with, with God that then leads you to be more godly, genuinely godly, with other people. And if you're not that with other people, then you really need to have a look as to how close you are to God. You may get a shock. But if we jump down to the last couple of verses, start of verse 18, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, i.e. God's arrived, they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. <laughs> Couldn't resist that. <laughs> it's really quite interesting when I read the Bible sometimes, all the little things that go on in my head, but that's another sermon for another day. Um, and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Interesting line, isn't it? It's an interesting thought that, that the people recognise that if God speaks to them, they're going to die. And God's gone, well, if you do this, this and this, then we can meet. And the people are going, eh, no. We're still too scared. Isn't it interesting that God's actually, even in the Old Testament, holding out his hand saying, let's meet, let's have a relationship. Let's draw close to each other. God, the perfect, holy, righteous God, the one who's been sinned against, the one who's created everything but been rejected, he's the one holding out his hand going, let's have this relationship that I actually intended. And it's his chosen people, if you think back through the entire Exodus series, we haven't even gone back into Genesis and looked at his pro his promises and blessings to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob or, or Joseph or the families. We haven't even explored any of that. Just look at the ten plagues and look at the freedom from Egypt as slaves and the crossing of the Red Sea and the providing of manna and the water and the, everything else God has done for these people. It's God going, let's have a relationship. And the Israelites go, uh, no, no, I'll just stay back here in the, in the back rows and watch this unfold. Isn't it interesting? They want to they wanna enjoy the blessings, but they're not willing to actually engage with God, have a relationship with God. They want to be God's people, but they don't want to actually have to do anything for it. So it's becoming quite clear how they've failed in this situation. They wanted to take the easy way out. They didn't actually want to draw close to God, otherwise they would have. They had the opportunity. It was God saying, draw close. And they chose not to. Now, when we look at the ministry of Jesus in the, 
Jesus' time in the public life. There's two main uh, situations that lend itself to look at when we look at this. Uh, one is the transfiguration, when as Moses walks up the mountain to meet with God to get the Ten Commandments, the transfiguration is Jesus walking up the mountain and there's a lot of similarities and overlaps with that. Um, we're actually not going to spend too much time on the transfiguration today. I just merely wanted to raise it more to say that it's not that I don't know about it all, but you can explore that in your own time. But the focus I wanted to take today was the Mark reading that we had, which was the greatest commandment. Um, the transfiguration is something that um, we looked at quite a lot. We spent a whole sermon on the transfiguration back in the Mark series in February. Um, so if you want to learn more about the transfiguration, it's online. It's on the church website. So you can go back and listen to it. So that's why I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it today. Um, but I mention it today merely to say that there is a lot of overlap um, where Jesus going up the mountain and being transfigured uh, does very much relate to Moses, Israelites, where we are currently. But if we look at the Mark reading, the greatest commandments, the heading, um, Jesus was thought on, was asked his thoughts on the most important commandment. Now, obviously by this point, we're talking 1,500 years later, the Israelites have failed to keep the commandments. They've been exiled, they've been brought back, they still aren't really keeping the commandments so well. Um, they're very much focused on the letter of the commandment without understanding it's actually about a relationship with God, uh, which is one of Jesus' biggest bugbears with a lot of the religious leaders. It's not their knowledge of the law, it's their outworking of their knowledge of the law. And that's why Jesus regularly accuses them of being legalistic. Because they know the law and we can know the Bible. But the religious leaders didn't know the law. And if we don't know the Bible, then we're never going to live a life that brings glory to God. Can't put it simpler than that. If we don't have a heart knowledge of the Bible, our lives will never bring honour and glory to God. You can have all the head knowledge you want. I've got plenty of theology textbooks you can memorise if you want. But unless that transfers into your heart and you live that out, all the head knowledge in the world is useless. Now, interestingly... This, this question, which is the most important commandment, was a quite a common question amongst the different rabbis and all the rest. I don't know if you knew that. But this was getting asked a lot at this point in time in history. 
that the different rabbis and teachers and stuff like that were regularly being asked, what's the most important commandment? Is there, do we need to do something and actually create a new commandment to override these commandments because these commandments aren't keeping us, aren't guiding us well enough? There was a general recognition that we're not doing well in terms of what God wanted at this point in history, in the time of Jesus. The religious leaders of the law and whatnot, were, there was a general consensus that we're struggling. How do we stop that? They were looking for answers. And so the, the question, what's the most important commandment or do we need to bring up a new commandment and help us? And if we fulfil that commandment, then these commandments are done... All that sort of wrestling um, was happening at the time. And so it's actually not an uncommon question to ask someone of Jesus' stature um, and influence, growing influence within the society and the community at the time, what does he think on the most important commandment? And Jesus takes it back to the commandments, the Ten Commandments, he simplifies it. He makes it real simple, like he does with most things. As humans, we like to complicate things. We like to explore it deeper and deeper and nut it out and all the rest. Jesus makes things simpler. Regularly. You know the biggest problem with Jesus making it simpler? It gives us less room to wiggle. And we don't like that. <laughs> we want the room to wiggle. We want the room to be able to flex it out so we're more comfortable. The simpler something is, the less wiggle room there is. And that's why we don't like Jesus' simplicity. So what does he say? What's the most important commandment? Jesus, what does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and then love your neighbour as yourself. Now, the word heart, the, word, the Greek word is, I'm not going to say it right, and anyone who can speak Greek can just remain quiet. Agapio is a different version of the word we more re we, we know, agape, love. It's unconditional love, okay? So Jesus is saying, love God unconditionally with your heart. Now, at the time, the general um, intent of when a person uses the word heart in this instance. Heart is controlling, it's the centre of your life. It's it, it, everything flows from your heart, your physical, your mental, your psychological, your, everything's flowing from your heart. The heart is the centre of who you are. It is the core. It's not just an organ that's beating away at some certain speed and hopefully the pastor doesn't look at me so my... Otherwise, my heart rate will go up. 
The heart in this instance is the centrality of your life, who you are at your very core. That is your identity. And so Jesus is saying, unconditionally. In other words, without condition. In other words, it's not, I will love you unconditionally if you, or if you don't, or if this happens, or... No, no, it's unconditional. Blank. Stop. And too often we like to just add a little brackets in there somewhere, but there's no room for brackets. Jesus says, love God unconditionally with all your heart, with all your core, who you are as a person. Love him unconditionally. And then Jesus, just for good measure, throws in uh, soul, mind and strength. Just to make sure you get the message, every single thing that is you in every single part of you needs to love God unconditionally. And then... Jesus goes, love others as yourself. So he's just summarised the Ten Commandments into two. And we could spend a whole whack of time bouncing between the two passages, fleshing that out further, but it's pretty obvious. If you love God unconditionally, you're going to have no other gods before him. You're not going to make any gods in his image. You're not going to... um, You're going to want to keep a Sabbath, not because it's a box to tick, but because there's an opportunity to actually spend time with God. It's an opportunity to actually take the phone off the hook, put the mobile phone on off for a little while, and actually just spend time with God. Sit out in the backyard, watch watch the birds eat the flies and the... The moths get caught in this spider webs and <laughs> engage with God and his creation without disturbance. That's not going to be a, oh, when can I take a Sabbath? Oh, crikey, Wednesday's busy and Thursday's, eh, I guess I have to squeeze it in Friday morning before I rake. No, 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 no. You're going to want to take that Sabbath and engage with God when you love God unconditionally because it's going to be a joy to do that. It's going to be the highlight of the week, not the squeeze it in between the appointments time of the week. And as you're doing that, you're going to be loving those around you better. As we said If you're not loving those around you, are you really loving God? Because that's key. Second most important commandment, love others as yourself. How can you love God and love others but not love others? It's a little bit tricky, isn't it? And we can all pick on the Israelites. The Israelites are fun to pick on because they're an easy target. It's three and a half thousand years ago. But we're no better. 
the modern church today is no better than the Israelites three and a half thousand years ago. We're just as choosy, we're just as flicky, we're just as... We can be used by God to great effect, just like the Israelites could have been used by God to great effect when we listen to God, just like a donkey. And just like a donkey, we can be just as stubborn as the Israelites three thousand years, three and a half thousand years ago, and we can be just as annoying and disobedient as a donkey. Human nature hasn't changed. So what do we do with all this? What do we do with all this? Well, the simple challenge would be to follow Jesus' two commandments, which summarise the ten, which is a good starting place to how we should live our life. Love God unconditionally, love others as you love yourself. Yeah? You know I'm not going to stop there. (laughs) So how do you know you're loving God and others that way? How do you actually know that you're loving God unconditionally and loving others as you love yourself? Well, there is a sermon done in, I don't know, whenever it was done, on love. It's on YouTube. Um, it's on the church website. You can go have a listen to that, part of our spiritual discipline series. September, October rings a vague bell, but let me ask you this, or let me give you this quote, more to the point. I saw this quote a little while ago. I have no idea who, who made it. Otherwise, I'd be quite happy to give them their credit. But there's this quote. The early church asked, what must I do to be saved? The modern church asks, what can I do and still be saved? The early church asks, what must I do to be saved? The modern church asks, what can I do and still be saved? And in the two, there is a massive difference. There is a massive difference between the two. Because just like the Israelites three and a half thousand years ago, we today ask, what can I do and still be saved? It's a minimalist attitude. It's an attitude of, I want to stay as much as, I want to sacrifice as less as possible. But still have my insurance safety net that I get to go to heaven when I die. (laughs) That's what... That's what that attitude says. What must I do? It. What, what can I do and still be saved? 
Whereas the early church asked the question, what must I do to be saved? In other words, everything's on the table. Everything's on the table. I want to be saved. That's top priority. I want to know God. And so as you think about, do I have the love? Do I have this unconditional love for God? And am I living that unconditional love out to others? Unconditional, as we discussed in that sermon, doesn't mean you agree with everyone. Unconditional love is love despite the fact that regardless of whether I agree or disagree with you, I'm still going to show you God's love because you are made in the image of God. So as I live, am I showing an unconditional love to God and to others? And it's going to be reflected in what are you willing to put on the table and sacrifice in order to have that relationship with God? What are you willing to put out on the table and sacrifice and how quickly are you willing to put it out there see if you truly value God above everything else then straight away everything's on the table God I don't care about all this stuff yeah I'd like it but you're more important than all of this. You are number one priority. Or, if, uh, I guess I'll, uh, I don't want to hand this over to you, God, but uh, I guess I probably should, but I don't want to, but I should, but I don't want to, but I should. Okay, you can have it. No, I'm going to take it back. Okay, look, you can have it this time. No, I'm going to take it back again. And, how much do you unconditionally love God? Sounds a strange question, doesn't it? How much do you unconditionally love God? Because if you love God unconditionally, then it's unconditional. <laughs> but let me just finish with that question. How much do you unconditionally love God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do love us unconditionally that you did come and create a way that we can know you and that you do want us to come back to a relationship with you and you have made it possible. The fact that we still squabble over things and squabble over the details when in reality... <laughs> we don't have a leg to stand on, is mind-boggling sometimes, Lord. But I ask that this week you will challenge each one of us to give you what is rightly yours and that we will live that out so that others can get to know you as well. In your son's name, amen.